Ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. We're here in the midst of a very important message series that uh, we're learning together what it means to live that more abundant life that we've been called to in Jesus Christ. Uh, We're not only talking about these messages and these themes in our times together on the weekend, but we're also uh, discussing them and talking about them in our small groups. Uh, And this is a small group booklet that we pass out through the small groups. And uh, we want to encourage you to be uh, a part of that. You know, we're encouraged by how uh, uh, phase two uh, is taking shape. And hopefully you were encouraged by that as you uh, pulled in today as, as that building is going up more and more. So more room for our children and eventually our students won't have to walk over to the YMCA and that'll be great. Um, but it's also encouraging as we're getting reports back from small group, how God is, is at work building within the life of this church, a home for more and more people to experience that more abundant life. I like how Ephesians 2 describes that, and really it's the basis for that song we sang earlier about Jesus is our cornerstone. And I like specifically how the message Bible reads in verses 19 through 22, when it says, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Through this series, we've been discussing as a church, our primary calling to, to understand we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to be his disciple. Uh, we talked last week about how that means being a child of God, being a part of God's family. But we're also discovering in this series uh, our secondary callings and how that God has given us each unique gifts and talents and abilities and experiences that he uses those to shape us so that we can serve God in some unique ways. And we uh, have a video. I don't know. Is that video able to show? Great, great. We had a glitch first hour, but I want you to watch this video of one of our elders and small group leaders, Joe Garland, share about it. So I had one that was really on my heart recently. I had read something about um, the name of Jesus and that I just couldn't quite stop thinking about it. And I read something that, that, that talked about how the name of Jesus makes people nervous. And you can bring up almost any name in, in public, good or bad, sports figure, politician, and it's perfectly accepted. But if you bring up Jesus out of the clear blue, people are whoa, you know, what's that's all about? So it's really been on my heart uh, as I share with people um, to really speak the name of Jesus and uh, not just talk about church and um, 
the Bible, which are good things, but to really talk about what Jesus has done in, in my life. I got a new used car and I wanted to put a Southwest sticker on it. And of course the old one said Southwest, love, serve and share. And I had some of those at home and I got the new one. And this one says following Jesus, making disciples. And I really kind of struggled. I go, wow, here I've been thinking about the name of Jesus. Now I'm going to put this on the back of my car. And uh, that's a little bit more of a, a commitment, you know, maybe a little bit more of a statement, maybe threatening to some people. And I really kind of struggled with that. But so this week I made the decision to put following Jesus, making disciples on my car. And I feel really good about it. When I think of the word fullness, I think about complete. And there's so many aspects to the character of Jesus. And I don't think that's an accident that the Bible tells us and teaches us of so many different circumstances where uh, Jesus had to meet a need to so many different kinds of people with different problems, rich, poor, sick, healthy. And the people that we come across in our lives, whether it's at work or extended family members, they're really no different. You know, all people have needs. And I think being able to talk about the character of Jesus and the fullness of Jesus, the completeness of Jesus, um, just tells us that he can meet any need that a person has. And I think, you know, so many people believe that their case is different and Jesus couldn't possibly love them. Um, and their circumstances are unique. And I think we just want to share that there is no problem that Jesus can't handle. And there's no, nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from him. I think at some point we want to talk about a discipleship process and that this is a journey. It's a journey about becoming more like Jesus. When I have felt I was in my sweet spot, um, it would definitely be on a mission trip. Um, you know, a mission trip is just a, a perfect environment. You're, it's really all you have to do. Um, it may be, you know, downtown Dayton. It might be in eastern Kentucky. It may be in Haiti. Um, you know, you fill in the blank where the place is. Um, but it's those times when you're with, generally with other believers, you're completely focused, you're, you're praying about everything, um, you're doing a devotion in the morning, and a lot of times you're using your gift. You know, for me, that's been uh, working in a medical clinic, and for others, it's building houses or doing a vacation Bible school. Uh, but for me, that has been the ultimate sweet spot. Sweet spot. Sweet spot. Well, I'm encouraged by Joe sharing how, what learning about being that follower of Jesus and how that plays out in his life and discovering that sweet, shop, sweet spot. And that's what we talked about last week is that we're all called to be followers of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about accepting Jesus' invitation 
to put some things into practice, to get around to doing something. And specifically, we're looking at that calling to embrace Jesus' mission. A mission statement that we've read here numerously. It's found in Matthew 28. It's commonly called the Great Commission. But in verse 19, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So as a church, we want to be serious about following Jesus, the be part. But we also want to get serious about the do part, about making disciples or more followers of Jesus. And yet the question has to be asked, how do we do that? You see, it's easy for us to simply settle for impersonal approaches to making disciples. You know, what would be some impersonal approaches? Well, maybe it's putting up a billboard on 741 that, that says some things about our church and inviting people to learn about Jesus here, okay? Maybe it's uh, developing and, and having a website that's very interactive so people can learn more about discipleship. Maybe it's, it's uh, some other kind of uh, uh, social media outreach or marketing outreach to try to connect with people through those mediums. Uh, maybe it's just simply uh, renting a large facility or building onto our present facility so that we can house more people. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that, that as a church, we should look for ways to explore all those avenues. And yet, those are all more impersonal approaches to reach more people for Christ. And yet, just as we're called to embrace Jesus' message of good news, and just as we're called to embrace Jesus' mission to be serious about making disciples, we're also called to embrace Jesus' method of how he did that. We'll see today that Jesus was very personal as he called people to follow him. He took a very personal one-on-one -on -one approach. And there's no substitute for that uh, for us as individuals and as a church as we learn how to do discipleship. This weekend, we're going to examine uh, briefly four phases of Jesus' method of discipleship. And regardless of where you're at on your faith journey, I liked how uh, Joe described that discipleship is a journey. Wherever you're at in your particular journey of discipleship, I believe that one of these phases will speak to you today because I believe all of us are at one of these phases of discipleship. And what we're gonna challenge you is what is it that you need to do to take the next step in that journey? Now, possibly some of you are new to Southwest. Maybe this is your first weekend or, or second or third weekend. Maybe you're new to this whole Christianity thing. And so, this first phase could maybe describe where you're at. It's the phase we're gonna describe as explore. Now, as we read the first interaction that Jesus had with two of his first followers, we'll see that Je Jesus simply called them initially to explore. In fact, literally, he said, come and see. Let's read about that in John chapter one in verses 35 through 39. The first section kind of gives us a backdrop of how that these are two guys that had been influenced by John the Baptist. It says, the following day, John again uh, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. 
Jesus looked around and saw them falling. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I love this. You might want to underline this. This is how Jesus started with them. Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. I love how simple this initial calling of Jesus to these two, we learned one of these guys was named Andrew. He was Simon Peter's brother. We're not sure who the other one was, but two of the, Jesus' first followers, and, and it started by them being interested in Jesus. And, and when Jesus turns around and sees their interest peaked, he says, come and see. One author on the subject of discipleship, a guy I've been reading a bit lately, a guy named Bill Hull, has studied the life of Jesus, and he's tried to map out the progression of Jesus' relationship with some of those first followers. And he's the one that that described the four phases we're going to be looking at today. The first phase he describes as simply explore, come and see. And Bill Hull says that he thinks that this took maybe up to four months Now, I think that this is maybe helpful for some of us who've wondered why uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, some of these guys we read later in the Gospels, that Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee and they're in their boat fishing, that was their business, and and Jesus says, come and follow me, and they just left everything, left their boats, their business, everything, and we're like, how'd they do that? Well, I think it's important for us to layer in John chapter 1 happened earlier, that they'd had this time of exploring, learning a little bit more about Jesus, finding out who he was, what his character, and what he was all about. It all began with them just spending an afternoon with him. As I think of that, of this phase, I think back many years ago on a fall afternoon when I was a student at Purdue University, and that was a different era. Back then, Purdue had a football team, but I'm not so sure anymore. But back then, we did. And on that particular afternoon, I met a guy that was new to campus. He had just arrived in town, and he had moved there to work with a local church and to lead their campus ministry. And I'll never forget this guy named Scott. I met him and he invited me to a weekend gathering of students that were, were, he said, we're gonna talk about what it means to follow Jesus. And he said, I think you'd really like to come. Why don't you come and see? And I said, well, that sounds kind of interesting, but but I've got tickets to a concert this weekend. He says, well, it's gonna be really good. I said, I really like Chicago, okay, the band, you know. I said, I got tickets, I'm not gonna make it. But I'm grateful that uh, even though I wasn't real spiritually attuned at that point in my life, I'm grateful that he persevered. He invited me to one of his small group Bible studies, and I went to explore. Now, some of you might say, well, oh, you didn't grow up going to church. No, I went, I went to church a lot growing up, but actually I'd looked at college as my time to get away from the church. And yet God had another plan and he brought Scott into my life and Scott invited me to a small group Bible study. And and when I went to his small group Bible study, he talked about Jesus in such a personal way that I'd never heard Jesus described that way. And and maybe it's odd, here I'd gone to church for 19 years with my family. 
But he described Jesus in such a personal way about the attributes of Jesus that he appreciated, how Christ's character was on display as he interacted with other people, the way that Jesus taught and and served and loved other people. And for the first time in my life, Jesus became very personal. And I found myself intrigued and I wanted to explore and learn more. So I started reading in the New Testament portion of the Bible, the part of the Bible that tells about Jesus. And I just started out by exploring to come and see. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe for you, it's simply picking up one of these free Bibles. It's just a New Testament portion of It's pretty appropriate. It's called Abundant Life. We're talking about this series, The More Abundant Life, Living That More Abundant Life. And maybe it starts with you by just picking up a Bible and do like I did, just start reading. Maybe start reading in that, uh, that book we just read from, Gospel of John. And if you do, if you just begin by coming and seeing what Jesus is all about. Maybe you'll be able to relate as I can to a quote of one of my favorite authors, a guy named N.T. Wright. He says, sometimes his call, talking about Jesus, comes slowly, starting like a faint murmur and growing until we can no longer ignore it. That's what happened in my life. I was drawn in to the person of Jesus And that brought me to the second phase, this phase two called connect. We see at this phase, Jesus calls Andrew and his brother Peter to truly make a decision to connect, to follow and learn from Jesus how to live life. In Matthew 4, 19, a verse that we look at often to give us a definition of what it means to be a disciple, Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. I'll show you how to live life. There was still a lot they didn't understand what it meant to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And yet it began by them accepting this call to connect with him and connect with others that he was inviting and to follow and learn. Last weekend, one of our high school students, Ashley Massey, made her decision to identify with Jesus in baptism and to commit her life to follow after him. And I was so proud of Ashley that she made that decision. It was great. Her older brother, Nolan, who has, uh, grew up here, was baptized here, moved on and uh, graduated from Johnson University. He lives down in Tennessee. He came back and he baptized her. And it was a moving time to see a brother baptize his little sister into Christ. Now, there's a lot that Ashley has to learn as a new follower of Jesus, but she's taken that first or second step, if you will, of connect, to connect with Jesus, to identify with him. How about you? Have you made that, that decision to initially identify with Jesus, to be baptized, to, to surrender your life, to follow him? Maybe you need to learn more about what that means. Well, maybe come to the discovery class. It's gonna be offered in 10 days. We talk about that. We talk not only about how you can be connected to Jesus, but how you can be connected to others in the church. Maybe you've taken that step, but, but maybe you're still not connected with others in the life of this church. That's why we've been talking so much in the last three weeks about small groups. 
and why it's so important to get involved in a small group fellowship where you can learn about, in a practical way, what it means to live that more abundant life. I know uh, we've been encouraged, my wife and I, we host a group on Sunday nights in our home, and we're encouraged by some of the new folks that are coming. We're looking forward to more joining us. And, and the way I, what I like about this study that we're in is even though it builds, each week is independent enough, you could jump in at any week so it's not too late to get connected. Now, another thing that's important about this phase, and by the way, uh, Bill Hull, uh, this writer on discipleship, believes that this phase lasted 10 to 11 months where they're just following Jesus and learning from him. And in this phase, not only were they learning from Jesus, but they were learning what it meant to be in fellowship with others along the way. In fact, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were the first. They were fishermen. They started following Jesus. And then Jesus did something that probably really surprised them. He was starting to invite people that probably really stretched Peter, Andrew, and James, and John. Well, let's read about one of them. He's a guy named Levi. He's also called in the Bible by another name, Matthew. He went on to write one of the gospels. But let's read about who Levi was and how that might've been tough for, for Peter and Andrew. It says, later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, let's make some observations here. First is that Jesus was teaching them, and he's teaching us that we need to throw the nets out wide and invite all people to follow after Jesus. You see, sometimes we only think about inviting people to our church or to our small group that we can kind of envision that they would like being a part of a church or small group. You see, the tax collectors of Jesus' day, they were, they were considered outsiders. They were even considered crooks. They stole from people as they collected the, the taxes. And for small business owners like uh, Peter and Andrew, it would have been a real stretch to think that Jesus is going to invite a tax collector to be a part of their community. And yet he did. The last couple weeks, I think twice the last three weeks, we've talked about what we're called to be. I've invited you and asked you to start praying for people at work and in your neighborhood, in your family, people that you associate with that you know that maybe right now aren't connected to Jesus, they're not connected to the church. They're not demonstrating that they're serious about following after Jesus. I ask you to begin praying for that. Well, last week we talked about being a, a royal priesthood, about how that we're to intercede uh, on the behalf of others to God. And so I ask you to pray for those folks. Now, this week we're talking about what we do. Realize that maybe God is going to use you to be the answer to that prayer that maybe it's through you boldly inviting them to a small group or to church to join you that they will begin to explore who Jesus is. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus in the Bible is that when Jesus was out among the people and the crowds, he saw people as harassed and helpless. 
like sheep without a shepherd. As I interact with people in my everyday life, I still see people harassed by life and feeling a sense of helplessness in their life. When Jesus saw that condition, the human condition, he didn't ask those first followers to pray that they would respond, that these people that are harassed and helpless would, re, would respond. He says, no, the harvest is plentiful. He says, they will respond. He says, pray that they'll be workers that are willing to go out there and do what I'm doing is throw out the nets to invite others. Are you willing to invite someone to come with you during this series as we learn about the more abundant life so they can experience the life that God has in plan for them. But not only do we invite them to explore who Jesus is, we invite them to be a part of community as we're learning. You know, one of the things that I love about small groups is that we get to be a part of a community of people interacting with each other and talking practically, what does it mean to follow Jesus in our everyday life? You see, it's, it's not just about getting a book on discipleship where we learn about discipleship. Oh, I think that can be valuable. But we really learn about discipleship when we're in the laboratory of life, when we're interacting with others in community. It's so important for us to realize that what Jesus was doing when he was calling this band of these early followers to follow after him, he was forming community. And he was challenging guys like Peter and Andrew and James and John to accept somebody like Levi, who was a tax collector, and to learn to be in community with somebody that was different than them. Author and pastor Rick Warren says that in every small group, there's an individual that's best described as an EGR person. Do you know what an EGR person is? Extra grace required. It's that person in every small group that just has some quirks about their personality. Maybe they just can come across abrasive at times. And, and they're just that person that, you know, wow, just kind of it's kind of a stretch to interact with them. At, at times you find yourself struggling with being patient with them. And Warren says every group has an EGR person so that, that the group can learn what it means to demonstrate grace, God's grace to others. Now, here's the other thing he says. And, and by the way, some of you are thinking about your group, you know, that's been formed. And, and some of you are thinking, well, I don't think we have an EGR person in our group. Here's what Warren says. If you can't think of anybody that's an EGR person, you're probably it, okay? And so other people are going, man, you know, I really like our group, but this one guy, this one girl is just a little bit of a stretch for me to interact with. Maybe you're the EGR person. You know, one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he came from heaven to earth full of grace and truth. He spoke the truth, but he demonstrated patience and mercy and he extended grace to people. One of the blessings of being a part of a small group, one of the benefits is that we get to practice that too. We get to learn how to speak truth into each other's lives, but we also learn how to extend grace and forgiveness and patience. And the whole time that we're learning to do community, we're getting more connected with the one that we're following 
and that's Jesus. The third phase of discipleship is serve. In this phase, we see that Jesus called these first followers and he calls us to serve, to learn by doing. People who've written on this subject of discipleship have said that this third phase of Jesus and these first followers lasted about 20 months. So you see almost two of the three years of Jesus' public ministry, he was, they'd already, they'd already explored his, him and his teaching. They'd already connected with him and with each other. Now he's calling them to put into practice what he's teaching. He's calling them to go and serve, to do something with what they had learned from him. We see this over and over again in Jesus' ministry, that he, he would focus and pour himself into a smaller group, really intentionally seeking to help them live out what it means to be his follower. We can read one uh, incident of that in Mark chapter three. And by the way, this is when the crowds are starting to get big to hear his teaching but he still wants to intentionally pour himself into a few. In Mark 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he'd wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, these are the 12 apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. In this phase, we see two things Jesus was doing. First of all, he says, I want you to be with me. I want you to spend time with me. I want to intentionally pour in your life and I want you to observe what I'm all about. And then he says, then I'm going to send you out to preach. But first of all, he called them to be with him. And I think this is an important aspect of discipleship for us to understand. The discipleship is caught as much as it is taught. You see, the way that we can grow in our discipleship is by looking for others in our life, others in the church, others in small group that have really grown beyond where we are in our discipleship and observe from them, how do they live their life? How are they treating others in their life? And let's learn to follow their example. You see, those of us who are parents understand that, that it's one thing to tell our kids what to do. It's another thing to ask ourselves, are they seeing us live out what we say they should do? See, just like parenting, discipleship is as much caught as it is taught. If someone were to observe your life last week, observe your life this week, would they see in you a wholehearted, heartfelt follower of Jesus? Are you simply talking the talk or are you walking the walk? Well, Jesus, he walked the walk. And in Mark chapter six, we see this played out. It says, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over impure spirits. You see, they've spent some time with him. They've observed his life. Now he's saying, you go out and do, do what I've been doing. And they go out and they teach and they preach, but not only do they teach and they preach, but verse uh, 13 there says, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons 
and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. What do you see? I see that they followed Jesus' example of how he was always ministering to people in need. He was always seeking to meet their needs. They are following his example, and now they are getting, they're rolling up their sleeves, they're getting their hands involved in people's lives, and they're helping those that are sick. They're helping those that are hurting, and and they're really living it out. They're serving See, in small groups during this series, we not only want to help people discover that calling to follow Jesus and live the more abundant life, we not only want to help people find that secondary calling of living in their sweet spot, but we also want to call people to do something, and that's serve. And so I've challenged the small group leaders over the next couple of weeks, what, what service outreach effort could your group do together? How can you as a group, as you're learning to do community, how can you go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus to serve others in the church or in the community? You've seen in the bulletin this week and last week a a little blurb that says, you know, if you have an idea, an outreach idea, ways we can serve others, let your small group leader know. Why? Because small groups are all going to look for ways this November, December of how we can put into practice what we're learning, and go out there and serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, our time is is wrapping up. The final phase of discipleship could be described as the call that Jesus made to his first followers, not only to do what he was doing, but in turn to multiply that effort to reproduce and to to continue to lead others to follow Jesus as well. But here's what he did. He didn't say, go multiply. I've been praying a lot lately. I've been praying for God to be at work in the church. And, 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 and I've been praying some bold prayers of, of what I'm dreaming and longing and, and, and asking God to change me so I can be the leader that I need to be so that we as a church can be the church we're called to be and that we can have a much greater impact in this community and throughout Southwest Ohio. I've been praying some bold prayers, but, but the challenge, although we want to multiply, Here's how Jesus said to do that. And this is from Pentecost, from the beginning of the church to the present. This is in John chapter 15. Jesus says, this is how you're gonna multiply. This is how you're gonna reproduce. This is how you're gonna bear fruit. In verse five, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and and wither. Such branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Boy, that's great. Promise. And it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Some translations say, showing yourselves to be my disciples, proving yourself to be my disciples. How does Jesus say we as a church will multiply and reach more and more people? It all goes back to us learning what it means to abide or remain in Christ. And Jesus gives this very clear teaching 
of that he is the vine and we are the branches. We need to stay connected to him and the vine. But you know, I want to share with you something I learned about grapevines. Growing up as a, as a kid, as a teenager, the way I made extra money was I worked for farmers in the area in rural Indiana, but also I mowed a lot of yards and cut grass and pulled weeds for neighbors. That's how I made extra money. And one of the guys that I mowed his yard and pulled weeds for was a guy next door to us growing up, when I was, I was growing up, and, and he, he didn't have a big vineyard. I don't want to paint it that way, but he had a, had a grapevine. And one of the things he asked me to do was to pull the weeds in his grapevine. And so when I had a chance to do that, it was kind of hard to tell sometimes what the weed was and what was the vine because grapevines, if you've ever seen, it's not like a tree with branches that go out like this, but the, the vine and the branches all get intertwined with the vine and they get intertwined with each other. And it's kind of hard at times to tell what's a branch, what's not, and what's the vine. I think it's interesting that that's the example Jesus says of the key for us to bear fruit and multiply is that we have to keep centered in him, the vine. But as branches, that means we're gonna be intertwined with each other in community. And Jesus says, if you will do that, if you will stay centered in me, well, the promise of the Great Commission is I'll be with you always. One of the reasons why we at Southwest take communion every weekend is we want to make sure we keep centered in who we're following, and that's Jesus Christ. We do it together because we're reminded that we are all rooted in him and that we are to be intertwined with each other as a community. As we take communion this weekend as you take the bread and represents his body and the cup that represents his shed blood for each and every one of us. I want to ask you to ask yourself, have I been abiding in Christ? Has that, has he really been the center of my existence and meaning and motivation? Have I really been remaining centered there And as a branch following after him, am I intertwined with others? Or have I gotten too busy to stay connected with him and with others? As we talk about doing discipleship, it all comes out of being rooted and centered in him. Allow this time of communion to really Allow God to speak in your heart as you examine yourself. Have you been centered in Jesus lately? Or have you gotten distracted from the main thing? Allow God to speak into your heart during this time of communion. Allow it to be a time to propel you into a week where you remain, abide in Him. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. That not only are we told by Jesus to make disciples, but we can see how he did it. And Father, I pray that everyone here will take that next step, wherever they're at. Maybe it's just exploring Jesus' words. Maybe it's making a decision to connect with him and his church. Maybe it's really learning from him and beginning to serve 
in his name. But all of us, Father, wherever we're at, we never outgrow just abiding, remaining in him. Help us really get centered right now during this time of communion. And we ask that you'll speak to our hearts during this time. It's in Jesus we pray.